Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I remember the first time I drove through Indiana Watching fences in the distance fade away Once there was a girl I knew there and she was pretty We kept in touch until we both went our own ways I remember the first time I drove nation's capital this is the fly fishing consultant podcast with your host rob snow white
greetings from balmy Breckenridge, Colorado, where my phone says it's five degrees and my altimeter says we're at 9,620 feet. What's today's date? February 24th, so I've been out here for just about a week. I left last Friday from D.C. at 5 a.m. Had a pretty uh, boring drive with Dr. Jones through Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana, Missouri. And I call it Missouri because we were once drinking at the Finnish embassy after a Henrik Ibsen play. And we bumped into John Ashcroft, who was then the Attorney General of the United States. And he stated he was from Missouri. And I said, not Missouri. He said, oh, no, it's pronounced Missouri. And then uh, Jones and I drove about five miles into Kansas and camped for the night in a hotel parking lot. And if my mom is listening, she thinks that we slept in the hotel. I just said we stayed at a hotel. And it was good to bond with Dr. Jones the two days we were driving since we've had the baby. I don't think he gets as much attention. So he curled up with me in the back of the Honda CRV with all the gear on one side. And people are like, why'd you drive to Colorado instead of fly? Well, I'm like, well, you know, life is not full of enough adventures as it is. So that's an adventure driving out there. I was able to bring all the fishing equipment that I normally couldn't bring. Um, extra rods, fly tying kit. I brought all of my layers, the waders, the boots, long underwears, fleeces, hats, sunglasses. I was able to bring my long-handed Orvis um, wood net. I brought all of the food for Dr. Jones, all the food for my wife and the baby, my mother-in-law out here. And I also was able to bring all of my wife and the baby's clothing. So all they had to come out with was a shoulder bag and a diaper bag. And we could also bring Dr. Jones, who's now just sleeping with his head hanging off the armchair. He's really enjoying it up here. I think just the bright sunshine that comes through the windows in the morning and getting to run around in the snow. So, like I said, the first day was uh, mostly um, nothing really happened, except in West Virginia, which the drive to West Virginia is a lot of narrow, winding roads through mountains and valleys with rivers running beside you. The only thing notable that happened was... There was an 18-wheeler flatbed with a backhoe on it, and we were going about 75, 80 miles an hour, and a rock flew off of the backhoe and came directly at me at the driver's side window and hit square in front of my face, and luckily it bounced off and didn't shatter the windshield. Doobie, my window guy, had only installed that window, I want to say last summer, so it was $100, and... I wanted to keep it that way. The rock did scratch the windshield, but nothing happened. And I gunned it past that truck. That rock was probably the size of a tennis ball. Nice polished like riverbed stone. So then we drove through West Virginia and got into Kentucky. Kentucky had the most animals, I'd say. Plenty of hawks. I saw a dead coyote on the side of the road. And there's also lots of mistletoe in the trees. If you don't know what mistletoe is... It's the green plant that they hang up at Christmas time, and it's green all year long. So when the leaves drop in the wintertime, you can still see these tangles of green in the treetops, usually oaks. The plant is parasitic, and that way it can maintain its chlorophyll throughout the year because it's getting all its nutrients from the tree that it's tapped into. So people would see that this was a sign of life in the wintertime, a sign of fertility. And that's how it became to be notarized with Christmas and hanging up over the whatever you hang it up. I'm Jewish, so I don't hang up Christmas trees and mistletoe. 
Uh, when it started getting really boring, I started counting pee jugs. Uh, I lost count of how many jugs of urine were on the side of the road. And that was pretty much it. Um, the birds of prey, I couldn't really identify them, but they were mostly just brown-shouldered with white chests, either on the fence posts or in the treetops, some were on the side of the road, some in the median. So that kept me entertained. I listened to the Mike O'Mara Show podcast, caught up with the fish stick, and caught up with a bunch of I Turn Angler podcasts, listened to the iTunes. We rolled into outside Kansas City at about 9 p.m. and decided to, to crash then. And Jones and I curled up in the back, like I said, and we got up at about 7 a.m. the next morning on Saturday and filled up the gas tank and took off. At the gas station, there was a pretty hilarious sign on the condom dispenser. It said, for refund, insert baby here. So I thought that was kind of clever. That that made me laugh as well as I'm always going to be a immature boy, I guess. There was a, a giant phallic symbol drawn with spray paint over a overpass. This thing must have been like 10 or 11 feet long. It was just, that made me laugh. So as soon as we get on I-70 headed west to Denver, and we have about 430 miles to go for Kansas, I turn on NPR, which is something I don't get a, to listen to too much now because I don't sit at a desk I used to listen to Morning Edition and All Things Considered at work. Don't listen to uh, Weekend Edition anymore because I'm working every weekend. So I turn it on, and um, it's Kansas City Radio. Kansas City Radio has more stations than any town I've ever been to. And one thing, one of the, the um, like pop stations, the, the radio DJ lady meant to say comment, but she pronounced it comment. She's like, you can go to our website and leave a comment. I thought that was bizarre. So I turn on NPR, and... Scott Simon starts off with a story about if you're ever driving through Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm just like, what? Is he talking to me? Because I'm like just outside Kansas City, Missouri. So Scott Simon comes on. He's like, Kansas City Barbecue. Um, tells a story about a place that I actually, I think it was the one I smelled and saw as I was driving through Kansas City. It was right off I-70, and there was just plumes of delicious smoke in the air. And I'll try and get the link to this. I don't have any internet up here right now, which is driving me crazy. There's no internet. There's no DVR. There's no HDTV. So it's sort of like back to basics. And there's no, um, when you scroll, you can't tell what station you're on. You can't tell what's next. It's kind of like uh, vacation 10, 15 years ago. So they talk about the, the Kansas City barbecue joint. I might have to stop there on the way back. And then they go straight to um, a story about Cristo, the artist who wants to drape the Colorado River. Um, I'm sorry, the Arkansas River in Colorado with orange cloth. So it'll light up when the sun's on it for people underneath. And so that's just two weird stories. One about the town I'm in and one about the, the state I'm headed to. So I pick up the phone, the wife's on. I'm not really paying attention. Um, she's on Bluetooth. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm coming up to a toll booth. So I, um, Jones is twitching in his sleep. Jones. kind of dog just nap jerks it's hilarious all right so um when i got on the night before the toll booth you can use your easy pass but apparently not to get off so i drove right through the gate and it bent and it hit my windshield and knocked my wiper blades out of whack and then it smacked my rear view mirror and bent all the way back so as this happens i hang up the phone and i am greeted by this guy who's running over to me shouting you owe me two dollars and fifty cents you owe me two two fifty Give me two fifty. Smart pass doesn't work out here on the Kansas exits. So I learned a quick lesson on the way back. I will have to have two dollars and fifty cents cash. Luckily, I had a five spot, so that paid for me getting out of the Kansas City 
Expressway. So the only interesting part of Kansas, uh, for what I remember, was just rolling hills of all different hues and colors. And the Coast of Sunglasses definitely made that trip a little more interesting. And you can hear me taking deep breaths is because the altitude here is kicking my arse. So the Flint Hill range of Kansas was probably the prettiest part of the entire drive. Just rolling hills and small trees and shrubs and hawks and all the fence posts. And it was just absolutely beautiful in that morning sunlight. I tried taking pictures with the mobile phone. Won't do it justice. Even if I'd gotten out with the DSLR, I don't think I could have captured how just brilliant that light was. On And every little patch looked different. It was amazing. People think that Kansas is boring. A lot of it is, but this part happened to be like 40 minutes of just stunning, spectacular scenery. You know, you're out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas, and there's still trash, plastic bags, and uh, shopping bags stuck on the fence posts. I'm in the middle of nowhere. You still have the damn plastic that we leave behind. And since there's no trees, the fences on the farmlands were made out of, it looked like some kind of sandstone that were cut into like wedges or chunks and were stuck in the ground. And that's how the fence posts were connected to each other. Eventually we reach Hayes, Kansas, which is sort of like the central part. And usually I stop at Taco Bell and grab some food, but I had Cheetos and Funyuns and beef jerky. So Jones and I just kept pushing on. And we start counting some, uh, you know, dead animals again. We get two dead coyotes on the side of the road, one porcupine and one snake. I'd like to know what a snake was doing out in 15 degree weather crossing a road. And on one of the podcasts, they talked about uh, the French Curly Q leaders. That was a Orvis interview. So I guess I was also listening to the Orvis podcast. And this is the European nymphing technique where they have the curly cued colored monofilament that sits on top of the water column. And when it stretches out, you have an indicator tell you that you've got a bite. So usually you have to buy this material. Well, this podcast guy told you that you can get the colored mono, wrap it around a dowel rod, drop it in boiling water, and then freeze it. And I'm going to have to look up this French curly cue leader technique. He also mentioned there's a tri-colored monofilament that I'd really like to use. So that's something to look to uh, get into when I get home. And we got to Denver, um, you know, about an hour outside of Colorado. So we started noticing the succulent plants and snow patches on the ground. It wasn't until about an hour and a half outside Denver, the entire ground was covered in snow. If you can remember, they got about three feet out there a couple of weeks ago. And it was blinding. I'm absolutely blinding bright. One thing of note, uh, gas was... Two ninety nine, three dollars a gallon out there. So we filled up. Did leave my gas cap in Kansas somewhere, so I was a little nervous that I was going to be losing losing some fumes out of the car. And I had my contacts slip off my eyes, so it was really hard for me to get that contact back in with my glasses off because it was so. I mean, it was like being in the Hoth system. It was so freaking bright. We get to Denver at about two thirty, and Tom's out working. He works forty hour shifts, so we go and meet up with his mate. Meet up with his wife, Marla, and start hydrating because I'm at altitude. Jones is just running around the backyard with Duke and Heidi, their two dogs, and just crash on the couch because I've been driving since 5 a.m. the day before, nonstop. Take a break for a little while, and Marla says, hey, we need to go to Tipsy's. We need to get you some Colorado beers. So we drive over to Tipsy's, which is, I think, the world's largest liquor store. It's wine, beer, and liquor. And you walk in on a Saturday night, there's live music. People are walking around with their dogs. They have an entire wine department. I think they have 100 yards of beer refrigerator. They've got an entire room bigger than a 7-Eleven of just bomber bottles, 40s, and 
22-ounce cans. Then they have all the liquor. So you have like an aisle of Scotch whiskey, American whiskey, Japanese whiskey, Canadian whiskey, you know, rum from every country, liqueurs. It's just insane. They also have cigars, a wine bar, and a cafe. Meanwhile, they're doing wine samples. They are doing hors d'oeuvre samples, beer samples, and liquor samples. I didn't want to drink yet because it was altitude and sort of how to, you know, hydrate. So I picked up a 12-pack of Mirror Pond by Deschutes Brewing Company for my wife, a six-pack of Odell's IPA, and a six-pack of Odell's Easy Street Wheat for myself. I've been drinking Odell since I was in high school and came out here to visit my earth science teacher from high school. And we went to Odell's and got a couple of growlers and just sat in his backyard and made some burgers and, and drank microbrews. And uh, drinking the Odell's always brings me back to Colorado in the summer of 94, which was going into senior year. So then we go to a place called the Rusty Bucket, which is a little sports bar. You walk in, they got the Caps game on, which was great, except the Caps lost all their games last week. I don't know what we're going to do going to the playoffs if we can make it. <sighs> <coughs> And I order um, for an appetizer at this place, uh, tater tots smothered in red chili. And they really take the red and green chili seriously out here. And these are probably the best tater tots I've ever had, just light and fluffy. and Had a little little salt seasoning I had to add to them because they were under-seasoned. But, man, that chili sauce was phenomenal. And then I got just a monster burger with bacon and, like, blue cheese and just devoured that with another side of tater tots because I'm like that. So you're going to expect the Rusty Bucket on the Food Podcast if – I do it before this one airs. You've already heard it. And we met up with Tom and Marla's old neighbors, Phil and Katie, and hung out at their house. They've got the Google TV, so you can surf the internet on the TV. So we watched failed blog compilations all night and just laughed our butts off and drank microbrews. Got up the next morning and went to the South Platte River to do some carp fishing. Tom gave me a spot off of Mississippi and Santa Fe, so I went there and Fished for about an hour going upstream on the South Platte. Really skinny water. You could tell they were carp there by the pockmarks in the mud and sand bottom. I didn't see a single fish. Came across a dead mouse, so I took a photo of that to compare to my mouse patterns. Kind of creepy, but that's what you got to do if you want to know what your flies should look like. And then I came across a teepee built onto a wall along the road. So somebody had been living or was living or is living along that section. So I kind of tiptoed through the woods. Went about another quarter mile. Never saw fish. It was like, screw it. I'm going to go to the REI flats, which the REI hole is a known carp location. I'm walking back and I meet this dude. He's got a beard. And this guy's got a beard that would make Dan DeVallo look like a brand new baby or Steve McKenna from Drinking Made Easy look like a, a bald little kid. So he's got three rods. Two of them are set up for trout. <sighs> he's going after spawning cutthroat and rainbows in the South Platte. And he's got one with an epoxy minnow set up for carp. He said um, he doesn't have a car, so he just walks up and down the river. He's got a moped, but he got busted for having it without a license. So he's not driving that now. Dude had some pretty long fingernails, too. Got a little net in a backpack. And the trout rods, he had midges. With white thingamabobbers, which seemed to be the, the preferred thingamabobber out here. And we talked for about 10 or 15 minutes. He was just pissed off how he can't ride his moped anymore. And he tries not to have any impact by owning a car or, or having a motorcycle or anything. Gets about 100 miles to the gallon on it. So he told me to go down to REI. He said it'd be about a, a 10 to 15 minute walk. But I drove because I needed to hit the head. And I get there and, um, you know, 
there's a little river walk and, and there's just people everywhere walking huge dogs and um, just strolling with kids and sitting outside the Starbucks at REI. So I just hop in with, uh, you know, the waiters on and start drifting some nymphs and buggers through there and I get nothing. The only thing notable was um, I found a dead duck in the river and a couple hypodermic needles. The river had a little bit more garbage than upstream and it just didn't see any fish. So um, I remember Dave Maynard from Fish the Baja told me to go to the I-70 bridges. So I took out the topo map and figured out where to go and it took me about 10 or 15 minutes to figure out how to get there. And the water was uh, low, clear, and by now the clouds were coming in, so it was super cold. I'm fishing a uh, 9-foot-8 weight with 10-pound mono tippet. I've got a little crayfish bug on there with uh, an egg and then like a little midge just to see if I could get them to eat. And I don't, I don't see any fish, so I just keep walking uh, downstream, find a, a dead rooster in the river. So that's three dead things in one day, and I'm not finding anything alive. And I finally come to the bridge under I-70, and lo and behold, it's chock full of carp, big, big brutes cruising around. And I'm throwing them flies, and about the third cast, one of them comes up to my egg, and it's just so dark and windy under there. I couldn't tell if he was eating it. He was right over it, so I just took a hunch that he had sucked in the fly and set the hook and fly just came right back up at me and I cast to these guys for about an hour hour and a half just changing out my flies left and right snagging all sorts of like rebar and branches on the bottom eventually I just broke off the last rig and said screw it I'm gonna go up to uh, Charlie Craven's fly box in Arvada it's Sunday morning so uh, you know I'm, I'm walking out of the river now I go over some train tracks and underneath the trestle and bump into a homeless guy who's stacking rocks like he's making a, a rock igloo or something. It's kind of weird finding all the homeless people in and along the river. They're a little tense, and like I said, that little teepee. Um, where I was carp fishing, there was a little camp made up of some sweatshirts and some shoes and sleeping bags. So I was just kind of nice, hoping he was a friendly dude. And he just said, hey, yeah, big carp down here, and got in my car and used the GPS to get up to Arvada. And Charlie's fly box was closed. I passed a military surplus store, and as I'm still trying to find uh, duplicates of my German moleskin pants, I went in and didn't find any, but I got a new pair of Carhartts. It's the first time in five years I've bought a new pair of pants. All my Carhartts have holes in the knees, and I got a funny faux fur pilot's hat that snaps under your chin, and, and I thought it was just going to be more of a joke, but it turned out that thing saved my life yesterday. So um, I run errands, and I stop by the discount fly shop on the South Platte. I spent about half an hour just talking to the kid who's working there. It's a mix of, uh, you know, bait fishing, live bait, spin casting. They've got old broken rods that you can buy to gut. They've got old broken reels that you can buy to gut for pieces. Huge tine selection. It's just nothing that I needed. Um, I would have bought some rainbow crystal flash from them and I would have gotten some, uh, ostrich hurl if I'd found it. But then I came across, the discount bin and dug through there and got a bunch of calf tails and some chenille and some yarns. I got an entire shopping bag for about $9 worth of equipment. And I got my fishing license and ended up um, leaving my driver's license there. So Tom picked that up and he's supposed to bring it up here on Sunday. So I can't buy beer or go to rated R movie until then. Get back to Tom and Marla's and, um, Hang out for a little bit. Marla's got to go to work, so uh, she gets me on the internet, and I check all the email, and 
and do all that and get the car ready to go to pick up the wife and the baby the next day. And the next morning I, um, went to tipsy's to get some more beer for the, the trip out here. And the employee, uh, walked me around and, and got me some of his favorites. And one of them, the employees are only allowed two bottles a month. It's piney something. It's a bomber bottle and it is from the Russian river. And it was fantastic. We had it last night and I got a, a local Bach called luminaria Got an Avery Pale Ale. Got some just more random bottles. Mix a six-pack for $9. Picked up the, the wife and the baby at the airport. Went straight to the Denver Biscuit Company, which we saw on Unique Eats and probably Eat Street on the Food Channel. Not the Cooking Channel, which just has competitions. This is, like, actually about food. So we get the biscuits. Mine is about the size of a phone book. And it's got spicy fried chicken like I think jalapenos and bacon and just slathered in biscuit gravy. That thing was just filthy fantastic. We get a couple extra biscuits to take up here, and we start the drive. And about 10 minutes into the mountains, the baby starts freaking out, and the car's so packed with stuff, we couldn't really get to her. I think it was just the altitude. And by now, the dog is sitting on her lap, and she's just petting him for once. And I think he was freaked out from being in the car for three days straight. So he... He put up with it, and we get up to about 7,000 feet, and the bag of Funyuns explodes in the back. So there's Funyun shrapnel all over the back, and if you read the blog post I did about driving here with the mobile uploads, I did um, a photo series of a bag of chips as I went up at altitude, and that one didn't explode, but it, it was pretty huge by the time we got up here. And we got up to Breckenridge. Elsa, what time did we get here the first day? Here? Yes. We got up to Breck at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and unpacked. And I think unpacking the entire car at one go um, was pretty brutal on my lungs since we're up at almost 10,000 feet. So we've got an oxygen tank up here. So I hit that immediately, felt a little bit better, started pounding water. You can have one beer up here and just totally get a headache. So um, got the baby's bed going, got unpacked. And the next morning, I had the day off here just to acclimate with the baby. And not much happened. Um, walked around with the baby the next day. We went to the Mardi Gras parade. And, you know, amateurs can catch beads. I caught a head of lettuce. So we had the baby in the backpack. We had Dr. Jones out in the snow on Main Street for Mardi Gras on Tuesday. And we're talking to some lady who works for Budweiser. So she kept trying to convince us to drink the new Budweiser stuff. And I'm like, Whoa. That's like if you drink Bud Light and then peed and put alcohol in it, that's what the new Bud Platinum would be with extra alcohol. So everyone loved Dr. Jones because he had all sorts of Mardi Gras beads on. We came back the next day, um, walked around town with the baby, went and visited Ned at the Breck Outfitters, so we're going to do a podcast with him. And then I went up to Burke and Riley's and had the world's best chicken fingers, which are cut to order, tempura hand-dipped, and then with seasoned waffle fries and had about two uh, gigantic club sodas just to stay hydrated. Yesterday was the, f uh, oh, and then we went fishing. Um, the baby lady and I went, I guess it was on Monday. No, Tuesday. What day was it? I went by myself. So I went down to the Blue River. And it was the first time I used my Tenkara rod. And Tenkara is a Japanese style fly fishing. It's simplistic. It's just a telescoping graphite rod, a line that dangles off the end. And then you tie on a leader and tip it, and you can cast about 20 or 30 feet. So this is my first day out with the Tenkara rod, and I'm at the base of Dillon Reservoir, which is tailwater. And I'm throwing um, 
mice and shrimps, eggs, and little beadhead nymphs with an indicator. And the snow's about knee deep, so I'm post hauling through it. It's probably 15 degrees and just blowing wind. And I was amazed at the ease of casting this rod. You could roll cast it, you could overhand cast it, you can puddle cast, you can whatever you want to do. It's just like a normal fly rod. And I think with the tin car rod, I was getting the best drifts I've ever had because the line is so thin that it's not being dragged by the water. So I'm going through riffles and runs and hitting pocket water and absolutely nothing. And I get to a spot where um, the water's just crystal clear and I see these just red stripes in the water. It turned out to be like 16 and 17 inch rainbows. I said, what the heck? I cast to them. Um, they eventually got spooked and I'm just moving downstream. And There's a little riffle. I, I slide a number 18 or 16 Mercer's poxy back stone fly on and drift it through there and catch about a six inch little trout. I didn't know what to do with the 10 car rod. So I lift the rod up and the fly and fish come flying back at me and the fish through the hook. I never saw what species it was. There's browns, cutthroats and rainbows in there. So then I pack up and and go to the grocery store and get some supplies. And yesterday was the big day of fishing. So my mother-in-law watched the baby lady and I drove north of town in you know, single digit temperatures on ice and snow covered roads with just snow dumping. I want to say we got seven inches of snow yesterday. So it was pretty sketchy going down elevation through Silverthorn and all the way to the Green Mountain Reservoir. And it's another tailwater where the Blue River comes out of the base. And I get there and it's just howling wind and I'm wearing like four layers. And I go down there with the nine foot eight weight rod and I'm going to throw some Crelex flies. It's this Virginia fly made out of sort of a flashy material. It's the first time in probably 11 years I'm throwing something other than my bacon fly as a streamer for trout. And I get down the canyon. It's about four stories high, and there's a staircase that if you want to find it, um, you have to do some research yourself because that's how we found it. There's a staircase down. The water's crystal clear. You can see everything. The sun's shining. There's some snow coming over. The wind is very light, and I fish probably a quarter mile and I don't see a single fish nothing not a bite not a nibble nothing rising and the fun part about this canyon is we use ice axes to climb out at the end because you're in a canyon and I didn't want to walk back to the staircase so I take out the ice axe and I go up and there wasn't enough snow there so my ice axe wasn't digging in so I'm climbing up and falling back down and climbing up and it was probably the most exhausting thing I've done maybe I'm out of shape maybe I'm getting fat or maybe it's just the altitude but um that was pretty brutal. My arms and legs are still hurting from crawling out of there. And then I got the switch rod, the Orvis Helios 12 foot eight weight and put on a nymph rig of beadhead pheasant tail an egg, and then a size 20 thread and bead midge. And I fished the whole way down, perfect dress, doing everything right. Nothing. Walk back up, and to the staircase and climb out and my th- calves are killing me I think more from climbing up four flights of stairs in that altitude the wind was howling I took some videos of that just blowing snow everywhere my footprints have already been covered up from walking in and there's such a lack of oxygen up here there's so much more about that crazy adventure I can't remember but I decided to pack up and go back up to Silverthorne and fish the blue by Dylan so I took the scenic route, and I got some pretty cool photos of snow coming down over the mountains. Did not stop to take a picture of master bite and tackle. <laughs> yeah, that's a clever one. Like, it hasn't been used before. So I get to Silverthorn, and I got the switch rod out. I'm fishing a 
three fly rigged beadhead nymph egg and I'm going through perfect drifts and I see a kingfisher land and pull out something tiny so I know there's some fish around and then I see a, a rise probably to a midge and I can't get anything to bite and I get back to that big hole where the rainbows were the day or two days before and it's brutal cold it's windy my fingers are freezing my boots and my waders are frozen and I get up there and I have no thing with Bobberon and I throw about two or three casts over those fish and nothing and then I just do a huge roll cast with the shooting head about a 15 foot leader and just drift just swing that fly through and bam line goes tight fish comes up it's a big rainbow about 16 17 inches and the fish in here are well fed they're eating cutthroat eggs and rainbow eggs right now and they got all the mycid shrimp washing out of the reservoir the colors on them and the spots are just absolutely brilliant i've seen rainbows in there and cutthroats that i thought were like some kind of koi or tropical fish they're that colorful so i strip in the fish and i you know it's single digit temperatures i'm not taking that fish out of the water because the gills are going to freeze so I keep it in the net, submerged. I couldn't find my waterproof camera, so I take out the DSLR, take a couple of pictures, a couple of pictures with uh, the phone, and I release it, and I decide I've caught my fish for the day. It's um, freezing. I'm going to go post hole back to the car, and I was exhausted. You know, another quarter mile of walking through, like, knee-deep snow um, in altitude, just absolutely brutal. And I get to my phone in the car, and it's uh, four or five degrees so my day was done. I put my wet gloves on the dashboard to dry them with the heater, and they froze to the windshield. That tells you how freaking cold it was. I go to, and I just did some random errand shopping and got a crock pot. So I'm making some smoked turkey breast chili right now for dinner. Went to Safeway and Walmart and got some more stuff. We're going to make risotto. I'm going to do some tandoori chicken this week. Tom and Marla are coming up. Uh, so Tom couldn't fish with me yesterday because there were 80 mile an hour winds. And um, when I got to my car yesterday, there was like half an aspen tree stuck underneath it. So the winds were, like I said, were pretty brutal yesterday. There were forest fires and Tom's fence blew away the night before. So he couldn't go fishing. He couldn't have gotten out here anyway because I-70 was closed Eisenhower Tunnel because the roads were just so treacherous. So they're coming out. They got a hotel. Uh, Monday, I don't know where we're going to fish because I have to get up to Fatty's on Ridge Street in town to go and get chicken fried steak for lunch. I think we're going to go fish the Dream Stream and we're going to go fish 11 Mile Canyon. So we should get into some big fish and maybe uh, Cheeseman Canyon. We will see how it goes. So that's uh, part one of being up here in Colorado for a week. We'll see what uh, shenanigans I can get into next. Greetings from Colorado. It is dumping snow outside. It's been snowing all day. It's February 28th, and if you can guess how this podcast is going to end, I will give you a rod and reel of your choice out of my collection. But you're not going to guess how it ends, so I'll just get started. So last uh, Friday, I went fishing down the Blue River in Silverthorne by the Outlet Malls, strung up my switch rod, my 11-foot, 8-weight Helios, Rio shooting head, Orvis bat and kill our driver reel. And we swing in a three fly system, heavy weighted bead head hairsier, a small egg about size 22, and a midge about size 20. So decreasing in size. If they don't want the first fly, they'll eat the second fly. If they don't want the first or second fly, hopefully they eat the third fly. So after um, a little bit of casting in and around the bridges, I get nothing. 
So I move up to the next big hole, and there's footprints all around it. So you know people have been fishing there. After a minute or two, my eyes adjust, and I see some red bands, which are some pretty huge rainbow trout hanging out in there. And I start casting, and it's pretty hard to position the fly. There's three shoots of water pouring in, and the fish are holding right on the seam next to a boulder. So I have to get right on top of them, and after a while, I end up hooking one. And this fish was, was big. I mean, I'm guessing 18 plus to 20 inches. It starts pulling line off my eight weight reel. So um, I fight that for a little bit, and it throws my hook. So I keep going. Move upstream a little bit, not much doing. At this point, I'm not really going to try and um, waste my time just blind fishing. So I'm trying to sight fish. Now I'm, my eyes are adjusted. I could see the red band on the rainbow trout. So uh, nothing up top. And there's an angler downstream, so I decide I'm going to um, – he, he went to his car and left. So I'm going to you know rest those fish a little bit, make sure my rig's all nice and – and neat, no kinks in the line, no pun intended, and I um, wait him out, go down, start fishing below 70, uh, so north on 70, you would say, and lots of little uh, pools, but no fish, and I get to a nice deep hole and see a couple fish rising, and they're fishing on midges, and with this line, there's no way I'm going to be able to throw um, a midge delicately with a shooting head. I've been fishing either streamers or um, heavyweighted nymphs now with the droppers and finally I get down to the uh, outlet stores and there's some kids over a bridge and they start pointing fish out to me and I'm casting to them and, and nothing's going on another angler shows up so I give him some space and walk down about 100 yards and there's three really deep man-made holes with you know big scoured out edges and it's really clear you can see everything and I cast for 10-15 you know, minutes and absolutely nothing so I pack up go up to the bridge take a look down spot some more fish Climb down, and by the time I get down there, it, you just can't really see where those fish were. From the top, you see them behind a certain rock, but once you get down to eye level, it's all gone. And there's a bunch of midges crawling on the snow, so I took some pictures of them and decided to call it a day. I had to run some errands, um, load up on some Gatorade, had some things to buy at Safeway for making dinner. I was making, um, so if it was Friday, I planned on making tandoori chicken, garlic naan, lentils, and basmati long grain rice for everybody at the condo. Because Tom and Marla were coming in for the weekend. So I go home. Uh, what's Saturday? Saturday was... Um, yeah, I don't even remember what Saturday was. I know I was uh, planning off the John Popper concert, so we'll just skip ahead to that. I don't think I fished on Saturday. Uh, it was a beautiful day out here, so I decided not to fish because I knew Air Yahoo would be out um, from Denver on the stream. So I decided not to go to South Park and just hung out here, read... Tied a bunch of flies. The shad season's coming up, so I've been cranking out damsel nymphs and one-inch clousers and some beadhead nymphs for the shad season. Hopefully I can sell some of those flies that we don't use during the shad run at the Virginia Fly Fishing Festival the second or third weekend of April. So the John Popper concert's getting uh, getting going. It's two blocks from our condo. It's free. It's outside. So the wife and I bundle up and fill up our pockets with some cans and bottles of beer and head down there. There's no open log container. And I, I couldn't tell you the last time I smelled that much pot being smoked. It, it smelled like just skunks around. This is, you know, I'm no expert on the weed stuff. So um, I'm guessing by the smell of this stuff that it probably was pretty strong. So we've got a little contact buzz in the air. And this guy opens up with his guitar. And then this blues band comes out, does some originals. And then John Popper comes out, jams with that band. So there's some banter going back and forth between us and, and Popper and I yell out, you know, Mr. Popper, where are your penguins? Because there was a Jim Carrey movie, Mr. Popper's Penguins, and he starts telling a whole story. But 
the people next to me were like, what are you talking about? So I'm explaining to the couple next to me what I meant when I was pseudo-heckling John Popper. We're in third row, so we're right there. And I missed his explanation. Apparently, he gets that asked all the time. He's never seen the movie. He's always wondering why people are asking about Mr. Popper's penguins. It turns out the couple next to us, um, he was pissed drunk and just met this Russian woman who lives in Georgetown, Georgetown in Colorado, not in D.C., and she came in for the concert. She works in Denver, and they were all over each other like kids at a high school prom. So they were like fornicating the crowd, and they distracted me with me having explained to them what my comment meant. So we get home after three or four hours of the concert and sit down, have a nice big dinner, leftover chili from the night before that I made in the crock pot. So that's what I did on Friday. I got home. I made chili for everybody. So I wake up on Sunday morning and just not feeling good. Um, stomach's a little sour, sore. Uh, just having trouble breathing. Not really feeling breakfast. Was having trouble downing water. And this goes on all day. Tom and Marla get in around 3 o'clock. And I'm just like sitting there. And Tom's like, dude, we're going fishing on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's going to be awesome. Or I guess Monday, Tuesday. He's already up on Sunday. So we're lo- he's looking through my gear bag, playing with some reels. We haven't really shown each other our gear bags in a while. And I'm just like, dude, I'm, I'm, I got to go lie down. I'm going to throw up. So I go into the bathroom and... Um, just sit there for a while and I, I couldn't throw up and you know that's just going to make you feel much better so if you get grossed out you can turn off now so I do the two finger uh, tonsil salute and uh, made myself barf and I hadn't eaten anything all day so nothing came up and that just didn't feel good and I started getting nauseous and just I couldn't keep I, I, was, I had no appetite um, I'm making tandoori chicken in the crock pot and coconut milk and the smell of that is just absolutely killing me so Tom's like hey I'll go back to the fire station and um, you know, I get some some nausea medication for you. I'm like, no, no, we'll call my doctors. So my doctor's calling a suppository called Fenergan. And imagine shoving a 357 Magnum in your hoo-hoo. Um, so after about four hours, I get out of bed. I'm like, all right, I feel a little bit better. Have a little glass of Coke, some chocolate mousse. The Oscars are on. Watch the Oscars. And I'm like, dude, I, I, I need to throw up some more. So I go in, in the chunder in the toilet. Um. I pretty much pass out from the pain and nausea. Like something's just not right. So at about 11 o'clock, I wake up and give myself another suppository, which is not fun. They're really sharp. So um, you can imagine that. You need to like whittle them down or something. And by midnight, I'm just like the worst nausea that I felt and the pain. And like I'm hallucinating. So I wake my wife up. She drives me to the emergency room down in Frisco. And I walk in. I'm like, hey, I, you know. I'm a little loopy from the drugs, but I'm pretty much in agony. I'm like, hey, I'm in the system. I put a fish hook in my arm here three summers ago, so you should have me on the records. They take me to the emergency room, um, start giving me IV medications. Um, turns out I was like about as dehydrated as I possibly could have been since I hadn't had anything to drink all day. Um, they did some x-rays, and it turns out my small intestine on the lower left-hand side got a kink in it. Basically, it's like bending a hose so no water can get through. So nothing I was eating or drinking since Saturday really had gotten through my intestines. They were, um, so they admitted me overnight. So that was, I guess, we got there at like 1 a.m. in the emergency room. This is all sort of a blur to me. Um, give me some drugs to ease the pain, the nausea medication, Phenergan through the IV, draw blood. Um, so the blood showed I was also just extremely dehydrated, no elevated blood cell count or anything. Um, so Monday morning I wake up and I'm still just, there's nothing going on. My intestines are just full of air. 
that shows that there's like an intestinal blockage, plus you throw in the altitude and barometric pressure. I'm in just writhing, screaming, agony, pain. So um, they take me down for x-rays, and they're telling me that most likely the worst-case scenarios are going to have to cut me open and, and undo that little kink. And I'm freaking out that, you know, I'm away from home. I'm at altitude. I'm supposed to go home this weekend. And um, if you'd guessed earlier on the podcast that it was going to end up with me having an intestinal uh, blockage or not, and that I couldn't go fishing with Tom on Monday and Tuesday, you're correct. But I doubt you got that part right. So I spent all day yesterday in the hospital um, getting an upper GI series where you have to drink basically radioactive goo. And this stuff was about as bitter as you can get. And I had to drink three cups of it. And then I just sat in the x-ray room. And every half an hour for 30 minutes, three hours, I'm sorry, they would take x-rays. So that took most of the day. Um, I don't remember a whole lot because I was so drugged up. The pain seemed to ease. Things kind of um, loosened and everything kind of just rushed through. You could hear a loud like in my small bowel um, where everything rushed out of the bend. And they showed me the x-rays about three or four in the afternoon. And it was about, it wasn't until seven I was actually allowed to drink something. So I went two days without having anything in my mouth. Um, you know, it was like I'd basically cough and sand would come out. Had a good night's sleep. I didn't have to do any more um, painkillers. I asked for a shot of Benadryl in my IV to knock me out so I could get a good night's sleep. And this morning I woke up. They discharged me about 8 o'clock. And like I said, it's dumping out there. Open up the blinds. It's just coming down like gangbusters out there. And I didn't want to bother my mother-in-law, my wife, or my brother-in-law who's now in town, Mike, for um, having them drive all the way down to Frisco, the 10 miles, pick me up and have them miss you know, fresh tracks. So I took the public transportation back, which was, it was all right. There's nothing really going on because they didn't drop me anywhere near the house. So I got dropped off at main street uh, station where John Popper's concert was. And as I'm walking across there, I'm wearing loafers cause I didn't have time to tie my boots leaving here the other night. I completely wiped out on the ice on the sidewalk. And when it rains, it pours and I landed on my elbow and everyone uh, around me looks at me and I'm like, Drop the F-bomb as loud as I could and say, and I shout out that, um, why me, why this now? I just got out of the freaking emergency room. So I walk up to the condo. I'm still kind of loopy from being on my back for two days, not having anything to eat since Saturday. And now I'm just trying to hydrate and um, deciding, hey, do I drive back early Thursday, Friday? Um, I really want to stay and fish. I never got to do the South Park. I never got to do 11 Mile Canyon. There's all these meals that I want to eat in town. I wanted to do fatties yesterday for chicken fried steak and roasted squash lunch, but I'm basically on a mush diet the rest of the time I'm here. So Gatorade, instant mashed potatoes, no uh, tamales and chili from Dorothy's, probably no burgers and fries at Kenosha, no chicken wings and chimichangas at uh, the Tex-Mex place the wife likes to go to. I'm probably not going back to Burke and Riley's for chicken fingers. No more beer for the rest of the trip, so... um, Hey, if anything I got out of this, I probably lost three or four pounds. Uh, and um, my beard's come a little more full maybe from the steroids they gave me in the hospital. So that's ending uh, part two of my Colorado, now I'm calling it misadventure. We'll see what happens the rest of the week. And hopefully I will uh, get this up to Jason, producer, as soon as I get back. Cheers. This is part three of the Colorado Fly Fishing Adventure. Greetings from 11 Mile Canyon. It is March 1st, 2012. 
Getting some snow showers right now back in Breck. I woke up this morning. It was completely dumping. The snow was coming down. As soon as you could use your windshield wipers to clean off your windshield, your car was covered. So I drove over the mountain through Hoosier Pass, and you couldn't even tell there was road. You were just driving on ice and snow. Luckily, I got behind a couple of snow plows, so going up to the uh, 11 or 12,000 foot peak of Hoosier Pass was nice and clear. Coming down into the town of Alma and then into Fairplay, the snow cleared up. I found the Alma General Store, which I'm going to stop off at on the way back. It looks kind of interesting. They also sell Carhartts. And I also have to stop off at Dorothy's Homemade Tamales, which is no longer in Hartzell. It is in the town of Fairplay in the bowling alley. So I drove to the Dream Stream, which is a section of water on the middle fork of the South Platte River between Spinney Mountain Reservoir and 11 Mile Canyon, or 11 Mile Reservoir. And it's just a meandering stream through a plateau. And I pull in, and it's just a high plateau, and there's a couple of hills and cattle roaming around. I open the door, and you know I only just kind of do this with the door, and the wind just blows it all the way open. That wind was gusting 40, 50 miles an hour is a minimum guess. So it was pretty brutal. I strung up my Helio switch rod, and I was having trouble throwing that shooting head. That's about the equivalent of what, like a 14-weight fly line on the end. So I was throwing a Crelex fly, which is that streamer made in Virginia, and I figure let's just give it a shot. It was so windy, I, mean, I was having trouble walking from the parking spot to the actual fishing spot. And by the third cast, I had about a 10 or 11 inch trout chase my fly out. It was just so windy. I just, I went downstream, fished a couple of deep holes. And then I decided, you know, screw it. There's nothing biting here. Walk up a little bit. And it was just exhausting walking into that wind in the altitude. And um, I said, screw it. I'm going to go to 11 Mile Canyon. So I pulled out. And if you can guess what I photographed leaving Spinney mountain state park area and it's the same thing that i ate last night for dinner i'm going to give you a couple seconds what are your guesses no it's not fish i don't eat fish wasn't cow i didn't have cow last night it was antelope a herd of pronghorn antelope which technically are the fastest land mammals they can outrun a cheetah distance wise cheetahs only have that quick burst of energy for fast running short distances and they also have horns, not antlers. Deer have antlers. Antlers are attached to the skull, and they, they fall off. Horns are actually built from the skull. So there's males and females mixed in. And Tom had shot one last year and made some giant log of bologna or something. So I had smoked uh, antelope bologna with dinner last night. And, if you know, the other day, you know, pretty much I could have died if my intestine had ruptured. If that was like the worst life could be, I think today fishing could have been the best it could have possibly been. I'm sure it could be better, but I just had the greatest time. So I drove to 11 Mile Canyon, and you go up about 10 miles to the top of the canyon, and you get the first fish that are eating what gets sucked out of the reservoir. It's also the warmest water because it's a stable environment coming through from the lake. And there's fish just rising absolutely everywhere. My plan, of course, is fishing my favorite type of water. If you know that, it is a canyon or tailwater that drops in elevation with plunge pools. And I want to fish big uh, bacon streamers. That's my 
big streamer pattern I made that I've been fishing for I don't know how long. So I'm driving up here and left and right. It's like, oh, my God, this is the greatest looking water. But I'm going to go to the top and see what's happening, see what's hatching. So I get up here, and there's, there's like three or four cars. People are spread out about every 50 feet. And I just go and take a look at the river, and the dude right next to me just hooks up to like an 18-inch fish. I'm like, I- I'm going to start fishing here. So there's rising fish, and I figure, well, it's pretty windy. I'm going to take out my Tinkara rod. So I take out the 11-foot Tinkara rod, and I string it up, and I just take a four-foot piece of monofilament. Um, it's four feet, four pounds, Berkeley Vanish, and I tie on three midges to it. All uh, The first one size 18 and then two size 20s and an indicator. And I start casting, and lo and behold, I start hooking up into fish. And these fish are rising. It looked like someone was throwing just a handful of gravel in. I took some home videos with the flip camera, so hopefully that comes out. But there were more fish rising than you could count at a single instance. So I probably landed four or five on the Tenkara rod, browns and rainbows, all on size uh, 20 thread midges with a just a microscopic, like, little dot of a silver bead, either black or red, and then a couple on black with um, crystal flash wrapped around the body. And it was awesome. I had fish coming up eating my bobber, and it was sight casting. That's the best. Sight casting to fish that are feeding. They're rising. You, you take a couple seconds, and you say, all right, they're going to come back up in, like, seven seconds. So you time your cast two feet in front of them, and then they come up, bloop, you feel that little tug, and you lift the rod. And the great thing about the Tinkara rod is it's so freaking cold out here, you can wear mittens because you don't need to have your hand on the line or on a reel. So I had, like, the warmest hands of anybody out here. Plus, you don't have to worry about your guides icing up. The one problem is how do you land these fish? They're, like, 9, 10, 11 inches long, and I've got 20 feet of Tinkara line plus 4 or 5 feet now of, of leader. And then I finally switched to 5X Tippet for the last one just to get a little lighter and higher in the surface film. So I did about two hours of that just catching fish left and right and said, all right, the dude down below me catches a cutthroat that probably was five pounds, and I took a picture for him. Should have gotten one with my camera. It was just freaking spectacular. It was beautiful. So I was like, all right, there's bigger fish in here. I'm going to get out my six-weight Helios with some eight-weight line and start throwing some streamers. Nothing on the streamer, nothing on a big weighted flashback nymph. So I just decide I'm going to take the Tinkara rig I had and just tie it on and start roll casting that out. And I'm now able to fish 40, 50 feet away from me. I'm getting that that eddy, which I filmed on the other side of the river. And I probably catch three or four more trout, probably lose three or four more because I'm fishing flies that are so small. And it's such a subtle um, strike. You're seeing tails come up and fins come up and noses. These fish are just lazily just gorging themselves. It was awesome. It's now um, 226, and it's starting to snow pretty hard. So I am going to pack up. I've got to uh, fish one more day, hopefully tomorrow, and then drive home on Saturday. And my rod's still rigged up, so hopefully I'm going to fish the Colorado tomorrow up near Kremlin, maybe do the Williams Fork. But it's got to be close because i got to get back in time to pack the car and drive out on Saturday. So this was part three of my time in Colorado podcast. I hope you enjoyed and I gotta get home now. Cheers. Greetings from Annandale, Virginia. Today is March 5th. I'm back home. Do I sound better? Check this out. Ready? I can breathe. Let's see what the altimeter says right now. 
Drum roll, please. 340 feet above sea level. That is fantastic. That's over 9,500 feet below where I had been staying for the past two weeks. So last I left you, I was just finishing up a ridiculous day of midge fishing at 11 Mile Canyon. That was Thursday. The whole way back, it snowed. It dumped. There was like no visibility the entire drive back to Breckenridge. I stopped off at Dorothy's. I picked up some tamales. I had a green chili and cheese tamale while I was there. It was fantastic. And then I also stopped at, oh, I picked up some bison chili while I was there. And then I stopped off at All Mart, where I picked up some all-natural grape and cola sodas for the drive home. I bought some locally made salami and some kind of uh, capicola ham. And looked at their collection of Carhartts. I may have bought something else, but I can't remember. So I drove back to Breckenridge, and we stopped off at Breck Brewery for dinner. Seeing as how my um, intestine almost exploded the day before, I took it easy and just got like a French dip roast beef sandwich on a pretzel bun and had some fries. No beer, no onion rings. Didn't really overdo it. Try to keep the meal small. Couldn't do a burger because the burger I would have had all sorts of roughage, which I was not supposed to be eating at that time. The next day was Friday, and see now I was going to be driving, uh, you know, maybe a quarter way across the country on Saturday. Wasn't really sure if I wanted to drive back to 11 Mile Canyon, which was 80 miles door to parking lot, or go up to the Colorado River. So I decided to fish the blue in town. And I woke up and it was three degrees Fahrenheit. It was not warm out. So I bundled up my clothing. And I, I went down to the blue in town. And I parked the outlet malls. And I walked up and I started fishing. And you know the water's low. The water's clear. I'm not seeing any fish. And of course, uh, my moonstone... 800 fill down jacket the zipper had already broken but now you know i was able to pull it up and down with like a hemostat now the zipper just completely split open so i had cold air coming in my jacket and icing on the cake the uh, velcro cuffs separated and fell apart so i don't know if it was the cold or what but my jacket just didn't want to work so i'm fishing um like a, a weighted pheasant tail or a tungsten hare's ear with an egg pattern and a midge or a mice and shrimp. And I'm just, I'm not getting anything. I see one trout after maybe a couple hundred yards. And by the time I, um, you know, change my flies up to, to try and sink down to get to them, I lose sight of them. It's snowing. It's cold. It's, it's bitterly cold. It's maybe six or seven degrees. I walk downstream and I see a, a huge dead trout in the water. And it was maybe from like, just from the dorsal fin to the head and it had all been eaten and the thing was huge it's probably like a 26 inch trout so as i'm standing there i'm looking at this dead trout i poke it with a rod tip like well there's maybe some fish in here the sun comes through the clouds and i'm wearing my coast of sunglasses and it's the green mirrored lens and they're just phenomenal and through the the lenses i was able to see about four or five big red bands in the water 
There was a couple rainbow trials. So I, I worked them over with my rig. I switched to egg, streamer egg. I do midge, worm egg. I go through the whole gamut. Nothing. I see two anglers. One of them is drinking a, an orange juice. Kind of weird thing to be drinking on the stream. They go upstream and... Um, that was pretty much the last I saw of, of the orange juice drinking guy. I ended up foul hooking one of these trout. And when you foul hook a trout, you try not to enjoy the fact that you're, you're hooked in with fish, even though the thing was like 22 inches. And I try to land it, you know, just trying to drag it up towards me with my net and being careful that it's below freezing. You don't want to take fish out of the water when it's below freezing because their gills can freeze. That's basically their lungs. So this fish takes me down to probably about 60, 70 feet of stream. Because every time I try to land it in a pool, he, um, he doesn't like that. He's, he's hooked in its uh, caudal fin, which is, I'm sorry, anal fin. So below him, right in front of the tail on the, the ventral side. So I get him up to the net, and the thing's freaking huge. Um, I, I asked the guy downstream to snap a picture. I, I picked the fish up, pinch its gills closed. Just to have uh, a picture of what a size fish looks like in there. It's not a, a picture I'm proud of because the fish was snagged. It's not a picture you're going to see on Twitter. You're not going to see it on Facebook. You're not going to see it on uh, the website. It's kind of like a, the 30-pound grass carp that we foul-hooked a couple years ago. It's just a record that I have of the size, type, and quality of fish that you can find somewhere. So I'll probably cut off my head and just have... Uh, a picture of the fish. The colors were absolutely brilliant. Textbook rainbow. Uh, green and black speckles. Just brilliant red band going down the side. Um, olive top. Creamy white belly. Thing was beautiful. So I put that fish back in. And uh, my reel's frozen. I'd gotten it wet when I landed the fish. I mean, that was five degrees out. You know, the reel froze solid. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go fish one more spot. And... Um, was able to pull a little bit of line off the reel. Go down to the I-70 bridge, and it's just... I can't even wear the jacket now because the zipper's open. So I'm just freezing cold. I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go to Burke and Riley's, get some lunch. Call the wife, see if she and the baby want to meet me there. And uh, she says, no, we ate the tamales for lunch and the chili. So well, that was supposed to be dinner, so you just ruined my dinner for me. So what I do is drive up to Burke and Riley's, and the snow's dumping. I've got maybe three car lengths of visibility in front of me. I stop at Safeway, stop at Walmart, get some provisions for the drive back on Saturday. And it's pretty much three or four car lengths of visibility the whole way up. Find a parking spot at Burke and Riley's. The bar's completely full, so I get a little table. Order chicken fingers, fries, and ice water with lemon. I'm not doing any club soda, which I normally do because I want to keep some air out of the bowels uh, because of the altitude and the barometric pressure on intestines and what I'd been through earlier in that week. So I just decide, hey, uh, it's getting full. These people need a table. I'm occupying one. So uh, I get the chicken fingers to go, and I get back to the condo, and I'm just so exhausted and just out of breath that I can barely eat the chicken fingers. I was just like... <sighs> just trying to get a good breath in wasn't happening so I didn't really enjoy that phenomenal lunch which it should have been then we start packing the car and I get up at about 6 45 and I'm on the road by 7 a.m and driving out of Colorado was a disaster it was 
dumping snow and howling winds, and the roads were covered. You couldn't see even the lanes driving up the Eisenhower Tunnel. Driving out of the Eisenhower Tunnel towards Denver was pretty bad. Once I got towards Blackhawk, the roads opened up, and once I hit Denver, I was able to put the cruise control on at about 83, 84 miles per hour. I believe it was the minus zero temperatures that night that killed my crappy TomTom GPS, so I needed to get a new one. Eventually, I stopped for gas. It's probably the second or third time in Kansas, in uh, in Hayes, I believe, and got a Garmin GPS, and that thing is awesome. If you've got a TomTom, return it, get a Garmin. The thing shows you screenshots of exits, like a Google street shot of where you're supposed to turn. So you know exactly what exit. It was. It tells you the actual miles per hour posted on the road you're driving. It's bigger. It's got more bells and whistles. It's $149, but otherwise I would not have been able to get home. And I stopped at, oh, so Kansas. If you remember the way out, I got on the Kansas Turnpike with my smart tag and then ended up hitting the gate on the way out. So I figure I would do the same, but I'd stop and pay on the way out. So I go in, the gate opens. I'm like, great. Well, the guy said my smart tag would work. I get to the exit and the woman's like, where's your ticket? I'm like, well, here's $2.50. I don't have a ticket. I entered via smart tag and I'm exiting now. The smart tag doesn't work when you exit. As the guy told me two weeks ago, she's like, where's your ticket? I'm like, well, I just explained the story to you, lady. Where's your ticket? She's like, I need to take down your, your, your license plate number. The smart tag doesn't work anywhere in Kansas. It only opens when a car goes in. Smart tag or not, the gate opens when you go on that side. I'm like, well, that was not explained to me last time. Where's your ticket? I'm like, oh, my God, lady. Is this like, are you a robot? Take my $2.50 and open the freaking gate. So after that very difficult conversation, she opened the gate. I went through. Ended up stopping at Sonic for dinner outside St. Louis. Got some uh, chili dogs and tater tots. Dr. Jones had a tater tot. He thoroughly enjoyed that. And we got a hotel in Mount Vernon, Illinois. So we've been on the road since 7 a.m. Mountain, and we stopped at about 11 p.m. Central Time. Got in a hotel room. Jones was just pacing back and forth because it's a pet-friendly hotel, and he could smell that there are other pets in the room at some point. So he got me up pretty early. And we drove and drove through snow and wind. It was not a very exciting ride. The one constant I had the whole way was I was counting dead skunks. Counted 29 dead skunks between Breckenridge and Annandale, Virginia. I would have not been able to count the pea jugs. There was one time where I saw four pea jugs on the side of the road at once. I did see a street sign or overpass spray painted West Virginia. I love you, Bobby. You're my, like, favorite. And your was spelled Y-O-U-R. And next in West Virginia, and Craig, if you're listening to this, I'm not making fun of West Virginians. I know you guys get a bad rap. But I was going up a mountain road, and there was a guy coming down going about 65, and there was a passenger hanging out of the sunroof with a bottle of Windex cleaning the windshields. Rather strange. Get home here at about... 7.45, 8 p.m., unpack the minimalist things I need, get home, hot shower, shave, chill with the laptop, and I went to bed. Got up this morning, and I have more 
emails, phone calls, and online requests for booking clients in the next three months. I couldn't be more pleased that I'm actually having, um, you know, completely booked days for the spring migration, shad, striper, herring, perch, crappy run. It's pretty awesome. So next up, I got to pick the wife and the baby up at the airport. My wife's going to cut all my hair off because I got a a big afro. I'm going to let you hear it. My hair is huge. We should have cut that before I went to Colorado. So that's it for my Colorado adventure. Um, Didn't get as much fishing in as I hoped. You can blame that on the wind blowing Tom's fence away. You can blame that on altitude and illness. Um going to have to see my doctors and maybe get altitude medication next time just to see how to deal with it. It was really rough on me, the dehydration up there, uh, trouble breathing, just lack of energy. So it's going to be back down here. It's uh, snow flurrying. It's going to be 68 degrees on Thursday. I've got a client for four hours. It's going to be awesome. So thanks for downloading uh, The Adventures of Colorado. I'm going to leave you with a the rest of Sean Kelly's song, Indiana. And Jason, take it away. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, visit www.robsnowwhite.com. This is it.